You're listening to the Velocity Podcast. Our goal is simple. Increase the speed at which you succeed. Let's go. All right, guys, we got a good one today. We have David Morin, a German-born American fitness trader and model, corporate wellness speaker, and an entrepreneur. David's appeared on more than 30 fitness magazine covers like Muscle and Fitness, Fitness RX, Men's Health, and Iron Man Magazine, featured over 100 times in editorial contributions, has been sponsored by Dymatize, Blue Star Nutraceuticals. David's also an accredited strength coach and trainer, coached for over 16 years. He's appeared on the Netflix documentary, The Perfect Physique, as well as Michael Bay's blockbuster, Pain and Gain with The Rock and Mark Wahlberg. He's also a father of four, and he's also created this efficient home training regiment called Linux Fitness. And he's also the founder of Flow2, which we'll talk in depth on this episode. So let's get it on. I never talked to my guests beforehand. I like to have self-discovery on this thing. David and I have been, I don't know what you want to call us, more of acquaintances in the fitness industry with like-minded, you know, just philosophies. You know, I respect David. He is an OG. Uh, he looks phenomenal. He's a father. And his brain is more important than his body, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people will obsess about, you know, somebody's physique. This guy's in his 40s. How old are you, David? I'll uh, be 46 in October, brother. Man, he's, he's defying. He's like a fine wine. Gets better with age. I, I can say he's just getting better and better, which is a phenomenal. So if you don't follow this guy, you got to follow him. This guy is going to show you how to age gracefully. And, and forget gracefully, how to, how to kill aging. Um, but besides that, I'm so fired up for this thing because I know where it's going to go. I, I don't even I don't even have to prepare for it. I, I was writing notes and all these other things already to try to prepare for the episode, doing my backstory or doing his backstory, making sure I had it all. But we have uh, so many similarities. And just as I watch him post and see what's important to him, um, you know, essentially if, if he's posting what's what's real and like I think he does. There's a lot of people that will post BS and I don't think he's one of them. I think he's talking from his his heart. And David triggered. What does that mean to you? An aversion to um, independent, either subjective opinion based on someone's experience, or it could be well-established truth that doesn't fit that individual's narrative. So, truth, truth is has a sting to it, you know. Yeah. Well, the reason I said it, like I was coming up with all this like introductory stuff that I wanted to talk to you about. And I said, you know what? David Moran is triggered. I'm triggered. There's a lot of people out there that are triggered. And we always see it in a bad way. It's like usually a meme on social media. But I think there's such a positive word to triggered because it means that there's some kind of action that has sparked a response from us. And as I was doing my backstory, or, or just doing your backstory rather, I was learning so much about you. So tell me about you know, as I was looking at your like fit plan bio and different things, there was so many, there was some tragedies in your life or some basically scares. So help me kind of go through that because I think it's going to create this amazing arc for the storyline. So you had a pulmonary embolism. Was that a result of a DBT? Did you find out or was it some kind of just anomaly? Talk to me about that and, and let them know what happened. Like, you know, what that backstory was. I was actually listening to you and Sadiq a little bit talking about it. And I kind of want to you know, I want to get into it because I actually have a DVT um, that I found last year. And so it kind of gave me a scare as well. Didn't have the pulmonary embolism. But uh, tell me about your story and when, like, what was going on? Well, um, you know, as well as I do, um, 
to make it in this business, to create a name for yourself, um, to get sponsors, to have any notoriety at all, it just takes relentless um, efforts. And a lot of people on the outside of the industry think that as soon as you're on a magazine that you've made it, or if you get a sponsor, you're rich. And, um, you know, that dries up pretty quick when those people, when you, when they ask you, Hey, hey how do I make it? And you're like, I don't know, man, I'm still trying to make it. <laughs> but, uh, so the hustle has its toll, you know? And, um, for me, I had a, it was never diagnosed, you know, I have an atrial myxoma, which is just a, a benign vegetative tumor inside the wall of my atrium. It could have been from a staph infection, could have been, um, I don't know, it could have been from a bad divorce. I mean, when I get metaphysical about it, but um, more than likely it's hereditary. Um, and, you know, I was traveling a lot. I had multiple businesses trying to happen. I was traveling like, you know, when you were with BB.com and stuff and you're like, or you're with your sponsor and you're traveling. It's just like, I don't think you're meant to be in a metal tube at 30, 32,000 feet, like three or four times a month, man. Right. And, um, you know, different time zones, uh, just running off caffeine and got sick, man, and crashed. And um, the onset of this, you know, when you don't know what you don't know, you know, you have the, the known knowns and the unknown unknowns. This was definitely an unknown unknown. And it was, um, you know, it escalated very quickly. I just, I went for a run in the morning and I was feeling, you know, congested, maybe upper respiratory, lungs were a little... You had some fluid. I could hear it when I would breathe, and then it just escalated so fast into to where my 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 heart rate. An hour into this ordeal, my heart rate was 120 beats per minute sustained. Um, I was breathing so fast, my heart was working so hard to get oxygen through my body, and uh, I was faint, you know, pale, sweating. And thank God, I man, I had a good buddy of mine, my ex girlfriend. I was, I, we were actually going to go to the gym, believe it or not. And, uh, cause you know how it is. You're like, no, oh, man, let's just keep going. And, um, but I got to the gym man, and I was just like, my buddy was like, dude, you do not look good. And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just not feeling well. So he was like, look, man, I know you don't want to, but, and, um, immediately, I was coming in and out of consciousness on the ride there. And when I got there, um, the EMTs had said, look, man, you're having a pulmonary embolism. We need, we need to take you to the emergency room now. And uh, so I passed out. This is October 4th, 2015. I, I passed out on the way to the hospital. Um, and I remember, you know, banging through the doors of the emergency room hearing all the commotion, multiple doctors, you know, all the different, you know, strapping the heart rate monitors on and, and, and trying to, you know, figure everything out. And I, and then I just remember like jumping out of the mobile, you know, EMT rack and then into a bed. And then all of a sudden I just remember like being intubated, you know, it was like people are holding you down. It's the worst feeling in the world, bro. It, it, and it, there's not a whole lot of feelings that I could imagine that could be much worse than just drowning, being held down. I guess when you're a kid and you had some cool asshole friend who's like trying to hold you underwater. I mean, that's basically, that's basically how it feels. 
And you said um, that, and, and you said that, and with Sadiq, and I was listening when you said intubation tube, and that's kind of what's going on with some of these folks that that are experiencing the COVID, right? Um, you know, and I don't want to shift gears to that yet. There's a whole topic that we can jump into that, but like it was interesting because you guys talked about that, and I don't know last year at some point, and I know that wasn't a thing yet. So that's interesting to see that that is part of the procedures that people are getting done. You know, I saw like a weird post about it, and you know, I have my opinions on this whole thing, but like to be intubated, you know, you're saying it right now, it's, it's not a fun experience. No, it's, I mean, the whole thing sounds counterintuitive, right? I mean, I kept asking, just give me oxygen, you know, just give me oxygen. And they were like, no, we need, we need to get you, you know, on the moneymaker, I guess. <laughs> so they, they immediately, I was out. My light was out. I was somewhere else. You know, they, they, I guess they, they call it, they stabilized me. Um, but my life hung in the balance of an electrical outlet cord that was plugged into a wall. If someone walked by and tripped it, I, I would have died. So um, for five days, man, I was gone. And, um, you know, on my birthday, on October 9th at 3 a.m., I actually saw myself above myself. I was actually disembodied consciousness. I saw myself above myself. I jumped right back into my body and instinctively the will to live just ripped all of that stuff off. I mean, I heard the nurse, all I could hear was like nurses freaking out and people rushing in the room. And they told me after, you know, when I regained consciousness and I could comprehend, they were like, you, you, you pulled that thing out with like no hesitation, like perfect technique. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's the way to do it by the book, huh? But, um, what year was that, David? 2015. Right, and you're you're already somebody in 2015. You're already this like you know celebrity fitness model and everything that you got going on. So, you know, I was I was looking to see what you know that trigger was too. But um, amazing, man! I'm glad you're still with us because you're you know you're somebody who I think a lot of people look up to. Um, I certainly you know like to tune into your channel to see what you have to say. I think your opinion is very important. I think you you bring an art to it. You know, some people just speak. You, you have your, you got this artwork that you do when you speak, man. I, I like listening to you. I gotta say, um, thank you. Bruce. When, um, when you started now, you know, there's, you know, we can get into his backstory. You're, you're a co-founder or you're the founder of uh, Linux right now. And, and what is that brand? And we're going to kind of get into some of those things because, you know, I learned about you today that you actually were the finance manager at a, you know, auto dealership. You were working a desk job. And then, was it the divorce that, um, you know, that set you off, you know, from your wife? And how long ago was that? Like, I'm, I'm looking for that. David Morn starts on the scene. Like, what, what is that thing? Because at some point, we're all pretty normal. And then we, then we take a shift in life. And then we become something that, you know, most people are not. You know, you, know, we, you and I are both blessed. Um, but I certainly know that you work hard. I work hard. And there's specific people that have this instinct that does it. But what, what was your trigger? What was that? Was that divorce? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It was... It was um, you know, I loved my wife and when I married her and I put that ring on her finger and I looked her in the eyes and I said those vows to death to us part, I really meant it. And seven years into the relationship and two, two kids later, um, we were both really young and she just wasn't happy anymore. And she, I caught her at the gym with another guy. Um, I completely embarrassed myself in front of the entire gym. I, uh, I was in a suit and tie and I, I didn't work. I didn't touch a weight really my whole life. I was a skateboarder, martial artist, uh, kind of hobbyist. Um, 
So, you know, I, I got this crazy feeling. I was at work and just running numbers and doing contracts and stuff. And I had a break and I went outside and I just started feeling nauseous for some reason and having this, this feeling. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And this is before cell phones and really before the internet. Yeah, give us really timeline. Cool. Tell me that because that literally, I, I want to dissect David more. I want to go like, what was that thing? Because like, you're, you're, you're a project to me. You got so much depth to you. So like very much like when someone interviews me, I got like seven jobs you know, from over the years, it's like you live like five lives. You're one of those people too. You got this like amazing story. So give us some context. Like what, how old were you when this was going on? So, uh, you know, I got married when I was 21. So this, this all happened um, when I was 27, 28 is when the divorce was final. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I went from, I went from college dropout. I'm, you know, I had a major in psychology, minor in philosophy. I was just like a head case. I was smoking weed and reading the Bible and trying to learn about how life worked, you know, and uh, trying, re trying really to reconcile the questions I had about religion in the 30 years that Christ's life is missing from the Bible in terms of what it meant to walk a Christ-like life in a Western world, which there were stark contradictions to that way of existing. So I wanted to, I wanted to increase my capacity to understand the language, um, to articulate the arguments uh, for on behalf of a faith-based existence in the face of pure academia that was kind of um, godless and sterile. So, David, were you Catholic or were you Christian? Because I grew up Catholic, but now I'm Christian. Catholic. So. Yep, Catholic. Catholic. Now I'm Christian myself. You know, I just um, Christ is the is the pinnacle and the and the cornerstone of all of it. So I kind of. I cleaved off all and pruned all the unnecessary stuff and just stuck to Jesus, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, when I said those vows, brother, you know, the deal, it was like, I, I was all in, you're, you're all in. And um, to have your best friend, someone that you've walked seven years of life and you've created life with, you know, just decide that, Hey man, I don't feel the same way about you. Matter of fact, I, I've replaced you, you know, and, and I remember feeling that feeling and getting in my car and going and, and, uh, confronting her. Actually, I ran up the steps. It was a Bally's total fitness in Newport news, Virginia. And, uh, it was a two story club on the top. They had that nice track that went around and, uh, you know, I pulled up in my car and I went from college dropout to $28,000 a year. And in three years after, you know, conceiving a child and then having two sons i was making almost a hundred thousand dollars a year in a car dealership yeah that's a good, that's a good job that's a pretty yeah. make some bank yeah especially back then my wife was younger than i was and uh you know my insecurity at the time as a young man was my inability to uh provide you know um I was a starving artist and then, you know, I was kind of like, I went through that transition of manning up and being responsible. And I owe that to my, to my sons, you know, they, they taught me how to be a dad and to put their needs first. And then, you know, there I was, I was taking care of everything. So I thought, um, why was this happening to me? Super victim. Like I was doing everything right. Um, I ran up the stairs. I actually caught her holding hands with the guy. Um, she still has, you know, her wedding ring on and, uh, just no, not hot, no, no, um, no shame, no shame. And so I ran up there with my suit on, I confront them. Like I'm just mortified, you know? Um, it was like, it was like getting, getting shot, you know, with buckshots to the gut. And, uh, 
I mean, that's the emotion I felt. And I just, you know, I got upset right there in front of everyone in the gym. It was like ridiculous, you know? And then uh, I just walked down. I was just like, I just walked down, man. I left and I just didn't know what to do with my life at that point. You know, everything just shattered. And uh, you made a statement. You made a statement on one of your episodes I was listening to that you said there was holes in your life. There was like this, you know, there's holes in my game, I think, as you stated correctly, or as I actually stated it. And you said you were going to do whatever it took to fill those holes, whatever you lacked, and you were going to work on you. You know, yeah. you're a successful person at this point. And, this, and the reason I bring it up is people miss a lot of this stuff in the story. They're always looking for like the glorified, you know, ending. He made it to this fitness stardom. But let's, let's talk about normal people. They, they don't. They're not usually us, you know. We we've been very fortunate to be in in the in, this, in the limelight, um, but there's normal folks that are in these predicaments right then and now. Now we're talking to them, right? It's, you know, uh, somebody who's very successful as a finance major or, or doing these or this this job, making a hundred grand, etc., and going through some troubles right now. So, what were the things that you felt like you were lacking? You know, did you ever attribute anything? You didn't play the victim, which is great. I love it that you said, you know, I'm going to internalize that situation. I'm going to say, okay, well, I allowed this situation to happen, which is phenomenal for you to even be thinking um, in that mindset at that point. And, and I love it because you didn't victimize it. You didn't say this was her fault. This was their fault. You know, you, you internalized it and you said, man, it's me. I got to work on me. Obviously, I wasn't enough at that point. So what is that? So um, good that you did that. Sometimes things do go wrong. Um, you know, against you, and it's sometimes not your fault. But you know, just in your process, like how are you? How are you processing that stuff? Well, you, you, first, you have to reconcile that you're not wrong for feeling the way you feel, um, but you can't appropriate those feelings. Um, you can't project them on people. Mm. You have to. You have to understand that your your feelings and what has been happening is a result of your perceptions. And if you just choose to change the way you perceive the situation and understand that it's happening for a reason that's beyond your comprehension right now, then you could really internalize the fact that you've been given a gift. Um, whenever there's tremendous turmoil, whenever there's great change, like right now, for example, it provides tremendous opportunity. I've, uh, much later, much wiser now, I understand that chaos provides opportunity for those that are prepared. And in that whole journey, the ability to understand through training, uh, training was really the door that opened up this kind of understanding of the advanced adaptive capacity of the human organism and the belief in that over and over, rep by rep, you know, every day when you grind down and you train, you understand that there's that relationship between your will and your body. And it's almost unstoppable. And when you look at your entire life in terms of the amount of times that you'll be broken and you'll be broken and you'll be broken. Well, I mean, are you broken or is this just the process of growth? And I think when you identify with all of the biological mechanisms around you, when you keenly identify and zero in on what life actually is designed to do, you realize that you're not exempt from that, that all this time, you know, I thought I was special. All this time, I thought of human life in terms of what I think the majority of civilization thinks. They think they're above life, that they're not connected to life, that they have a right to do with the planet what they want to do. But I always saw, not always, but I, as I started understanding through these various different breakings in my life, I started recalibrating my identifications with 
um, with life itself, knowing that this is where I come from and this is where my body's going to return. And there's an unstoppable force out there. It's not, it's not any one of us as individuals, but it, it is running through our body right now and through our minds and through our hearts. And if we really understand what that means in terms of right now in your life, you have all the capacity to change the way you feel about the circumstances that have, have beset themselves against you and realize they're actually the substrate from which accelerated growth can happen when you take that energy and apply it. So it's alchemy. It's, it, life is alchemy. That's what all nature does. Nature creates things out of nothing. And we have a hard time with that. Human beings think too much about it. You know, we, we, we're a victim of our own thoughts. And when we think too much, we separate our intuitive capacities from, you know, our actions, like actions, intuitions, rational thought process, risk assessment, all these things go into it. At the end of the day, believe in yourself, course correct. We're going to screw up, you know, as we get older, we need to we need to be more selective about the risks that we take. We need to be, you know, more um, aware of the possible consequences and we get more conservative about the amount of energy because we know what it takes to, to rebuild and rebound. We know what it takes to, you know, to get knocked down and the amount of effort it takes to get back up. But while you're young, if you're a young man, if you're under 30 years old and, and you are finding yourself in that helpless victim mentality, um, there's really no reason, honest to God, there's really no reason for you to think that way unless you have some type of terminal disease. And even, even in that case, like I can't speak on terminal disease, but on being on the brink of death, death provides an opportunity. Death is far more generous. I think when people confront their death every day, I think death is far more generous a motivator than life is. You know, because we realize we're in a transition phase. Every, every single one of us is just, you know, we're going to turn to dirt, man. And everything, and everything that comes out of the dirt is life. Yeah. So, and Pastor says it all the time. He's like, you're in an earth suit right now. He's like, that's just a, a body that was given to you. That's not your soul. That's not your consciousness. And that's just something you're hanging on to. And you better treat it well. And so with that, man, you, you get, I love talking to this guy. I love listening to this guy. I'm going to just sit and listen. Um, tell me about that growth now. So now you're like, all right, look, I'm going to internalize this pain that I'm feeling right now. My wife is leaving me. I'm going to get a divorce. I have two kids. Where do you go from there? Now you, you, you internalize fitness as the root cause of maybe what transferred her love to somebody else because you weren't basically speaking her language. Um, and so that, that hurt you. And so you said, okay, now I'm going to turn it around. I think at the time, I believe you, you were 6'2", 168 at the time. Um, Correct. You didn't grow six two, so you're, you're what do you weigh now? What what is the two thirteen, two fourteen? Oh, solid. Um yeah. so he, he he put on some growth and uh you know changed his life. And how'd you do it? Like what were the steps? You change your job, you quit your job, like talk to me about that growth and, and <laughs> we we might have to split this episode. I could see this going long. I don't know what your time frame looks like, but um I'm here, I'm here for you. I'm willing to work it out. So Tell, yeah. tell me about that growth cycle and not cycle, but that growth yeah. uh, that you were doing. It was trend, bro. It was trend. <laughs> In this it industry, was, that, that word gets uh, very loosely at this point. But bro, this is the most 
most anabolic substance that you can use. I mean, the free drugs that you have access to your brain, the endorphins, that's the ultimate growth factors. You know, it's like people want to focus, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do this whole um, series on the Illuminati and not like the Illuminati, like everyone thinks the Illuminati, right? Everyone thinks of like secret signs and big banking cartels that deliberately, you know, create legislation to disempower human sovereignty and all this stuff, man. Um, I'm thinking in terms of light, you know, um, the Illuminati was created, in my opinion, as a diversion. Everything external, everything that we believe we need to attain anything is part of this grand derivative Illuminati doctrine because God gives us the sun. 40% of the population of the world are vitamin D deficient. We know how vitamin D affects immunity. So why isn't everybody talking about the sun being the source of all life and that we are, in fact, stardust? And every process on the planet has been generated through this amazing, fiery ball of gas that just never ceases to burn out there. Yeah, so surrounding us, we revolve around it. Yeah, there's, 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 why is it not more uh, top of yeah. the and so every, every, the Illuminati, I say, because every bit of technology that we use, even the light that we perceive each other, even the text and the messages and the images that we are relating and perceiving about each other, the image that we create, our persona, our ego, all of this is derivative. The whole infrastructure of civilization is a derivative of the one source of light. And God says, I am the light. I am the truth. I am the way. That's the light of the world. And so God created the sun for that. And anything derivative of, of that light is in fact a shadow. So when we assume ourselves to perceive ourselves through all of these various derivative mechanisms that project what we want people to perceive about us, we are living in a world of shadows. And no wonder, no wonder that we constantly want external things to validate ourselves. No, because we never see each other the way we're supposed to in the light of God. No wonder we want steroids or we want all these different things. We want status. We want all of these external material things that are sold to us, sold to us, right? Which have nothing to do with the soul. In Spanish, soul is sun. So it's... When you look at the, in very, very simple terms, when you look at it, it's so simple and so obvious a child could perceive it. And yet so many of us get preoccupied with things because it's in the adult material world of acquisition that we forget about these, these golden principles that really are the underlying connection to us as human beings, to what really means anything to us, to our immune system, to our health and vitality. It's, um, yeah. While you're, the, while you're there, David, because I, I see we're going down this road, and I'm, I'm, I want to do it. So it sounds like you're very spiritual. It sounds like you, you're into God. You, you believe it. You, you've obviously read the Bible. I've, I've got two passages through it myself, and I was very group Catholic. I'll give you a really quick background. Group Catholic, went to religion school, or I went to Sacred Heart University, went to school where I was playing football and doing my studies, and they made me take a class, Religion 101, and at the end of that class, I decided to just say I'm not anything anymore. I said I'm going to actually just be nothing because I don't believe in my religion anymore with the priests that they couldn't speak to me and they couldn't, they, they couldn't, they couldn't relate to me as a, you know, a person that might be getting married. And I was like, you know, I just did, had so many questions at the time. So I just said, I'm done. I'm done with religion for a while. It took like 10 years where I was like, I'm karma. You know, my religion is karma due to what, due to others, what I want done to myself, etc. And, but, um, fast forward, moved to Tennessee, 
told everyone I was not going to drink the Kool-Aid. And then it's the Bible Belt over here. I got surrounded with some really good, faithful Christians and uh, started reading the Bible. And, uh, you know, I couldn't understand anything until I actually had my own words translated, you know, in the Bible and listening. And um, it made much more sense. But one thing I want to bring up, which is you're talking about this perception and this, uh, you know, how we perceive, you know, with these signals that are coming at us. I got, you know, for the non-believers out there, for the people that just quote science, here's something. Do you see ultraviolet rays? Do you see the cell phone signals? Do you hear, uh, you know, those high piercing sounds? Do you see uh, germs in a microscope? Do you see germs with your own eyes? Um, there's multiple things we can go down. All five senses that we have are limited by our own, you know, innate abilities as human beings. So don't, don't back science as much as call it like legalistic, where it's basically saying it's science or no way if I can't prove it, because I could tell you right now, spirits exist good and evil exists and all these other things exist because if you can't see with your own eyes, you know, uh, some things that a telescope might give us the perception to enhance our abilities, why would you not think that there's this, this, uh, this fight that's going on, which is currently I want to speed up to today, politics, this good versus evil, this black life movement, this, these bad actors that are caught on social media doing all these crazy things like where, you know, let's look, I might as well jump to it. I mean, I don't want to, skip on your background. I, th I know I asked you some questions and we went down another road, but like, where do you, where do you take it today with all that stuff that, you know, I see you post and, you know, I've been very selective and not political lately or in my lifetime, but now I'm going to start stepping it up and actually put myself out there because I believe we have to, we have to take a stand and it's time for the silent people to speak up and the good to do good. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fundamental crux of kind of like the, um, the, the left, the radical left's kind of agenda right now, and I understand a lot of their positions are plausible and credible. Um, there, I think there does need to be um, some greater incentives on police reform and the dynamics, the dynamics that were created through redlining and the, the lack of economic um, opportunity from the 60s, you know, um, in the fact that you had you had some deliberate attempts to prevent African Americans from achieving the American dream, and that that for sure that for sure has to be acknowledged. Now, do I think that that exists in today's day? I, I don't think so, and and that's just not my opinion. That's the opinion of guys like Larry Elder, um, Denzel Washington. Um, there's various different scholars, Candace Owens. I mean, you could go down many different political activists and different people with credibility, mostly on the conservative side that would agree with what I'm saying. What I think fundamentally the left lacks in merit is the understanding that, that they're, they are doing any means necessary, even though that's a famous quote from uh, Malcolm X, any means necessary, even though Malcolm X called out the white liberal and then two days later he was shot. Okay. So he's always when you get into the nuances of all this, you start understanding that there's another more powerful group of individuals behind the democratic party and feeding this frenzy. And what the people that are doing the work don't understand is that Marxist ideology, Marxist ideology is in direct opposition. They think with capitalism because capitalism is inherently greedy what they don't understand is, is that in their efforts to tear down the patriarchy, in their efforts to destroy the country and to revise the Constitution, they are going to be hijacked. And what's important about our Constitution 
is the first, the opening, the first paragraph. We're endowed, we're all men are endowed by a creator with certain unalienable rights. All, all men and women, all human beings have rights from a creator, not from a king, not from a czar, not from, not from uh, a shaw, not from aristocracy, not from some bank, big banker, not from Rothschilds, from God. And, and that is so critical for all of us to understand because once you, once you understand that those inherent rights given to you by a creator can never be taken away, those things are worth fighting for. It doesn't matter what God you believe in. And that's the beauty of, of America. It doesn't matter if you believe in Muhammad or Jesus or Buddha or Hindu or Krishna or whatever. You can have an access to, to God. And that's why millions of people are trying to migrate here every, every year. It's because... I said that argument also. It's like, you know, you know I just posted for uh, 4th of July, basically saying there's so much hate in this country for this country, but yet there's a, there's a waiting list to get into this country. So for all these folks that are saying, we want change, we want this. I had, um, you know, a guest on my podcast that, you know, was a, a you know, he grew up in Africa. And, um, you know, people who are outside looking in still see this as the dream, the land to come to, the place of opportunity. The, the folks that are basically these people that grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth, and whether they have the money or not, I call it a silver spoon, whatever you want to call it, because they have opportunity. They can basically wake up and be free and have all these uh, rights that were given that, you know, people died and fought for. And now there's just such disrespect. There's just... I believe in good and evil, and I just feel like this evil slime is among us. And it's like in the Bible, you look at Revelations and all these other things that are going on. You know, I believe there's some truth to all this stuff that's going on right now. And it's like, I say to myself in my prayers, I'm like, God, make me strong. Make me, you know, let me be the hand that you need me to be. Let me be the, the voice that you need me to be. Tell me, Holy Spirit, come into me and let me, let me say to others what needs to be said. Use me as a device, you know, and it's like, I could see these things. I watched a meme or no, a video today of some black guy going and dropping, kicking at a toddler. It's like currently circulating right now. And then he went to go beat up a white woman. And it's like, I could care less about the black and white thing. I think that that's going to work itself out. I mean, I certainly know you're, you're, uh, have a fiance who's a, a black woman. Is that right? Or, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. She's well, half Dominican or she's half yeah. Dominican, half Nigerian. So David can't be called a racist, but I mean, anyone else who doesn't have that, you know, uh, opportunity you know anyone who speaks against it is a racist in this blm movement and different things but regardless i think that stuff will work itself out um but it's just this good and evil like how can you even justify your actions i say literally if, if you can be video recorded in your actions and have a kid your kid if you were a father or a mother you know and you could respect this because you have kids if they were to watch your actions and say good job daddy or good job mommy job well done but there's going to be no kid that's going to watch you disrespect somebody, drop kick somebody, shoot somebody, hurt somebody, punch somebody, yell at somebody that's going on all day. So like if you're listening, think of it's not like what would Jesus do It's literally what would your kid do if they watched you? That might check you a little bit. That might put you in your place. But man, we need to grow up and we need we need some strong individuals to, to show up to, you know, it's too many people that are being radicalized, uh, you know, on this this left, right, whatever you want to call it. It's just evil that I call it. You know, I, don't, I don't like to put people in a, a party. I think the parties are the problem, but good and evil certainly isn't. Yeah, we need a party that where everyone's invited, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to that party. It's like the love party.
party, man. Like everyone is invited. You know, that's like, I always, when I was, uh, you know, you, you and I both know that when things aren't, when you're not aware of something, you never see it, even though it's always there. And I'll give you an example. Before I had kids, I never saw these babies on board signs, you know, that were really popular 10, 15 years ago, right? Baby on board, baby on board, right? And it's usually, you know, super cautious driving mom with a little car seat in the back who's got like, you know, kids stuff everywhere, like doesn't want to do any harm, wants no trouble. And I'm like, you know, okay, baby on board. It's like a big caution sign to ward off the careless assholes. But the problem is, is careless assholes are careless. So they're not going to see that you have a sign that says, please watch out for me because I have a baby in the car. And that's what you're seeing. There is, there is a consciousness problem. And I think it's part of the problem is, is of course, years and years of legislation that have incentivized lack of education. Mm-hmm. And then there's been a willful, there's been a class within the group of inner city poverty. There have been those that have made it to celebrity and all they've done is sold the worst aspects of that community back to them. I can give you thousands of examples. I mean, Ice Cube and Ice T, both of them talked about subjugating women with hip hop music. They talked about treating their women, you know, it's calling them whatever name, using drugs, using uh, weapons, killing cops, killing one another, gang violence, retribution. That's a fatherless culture. And then they went on to make it in Hollywood, and now they both play cops in Hollywood. So. Yeah. So you, you find that they will go to any means necessary to become a, a different class of person besides the fact that there's many honest academics from impoverished neighborhoods that took the hard road because they had a loving, caring family that backed them up and they made it in the academic world or they made it in the political world and they didn't have to sell a narrative back to their own people that really keeps their people down, that they did it the right way and the honorable way. And I think those people don't get enough credit in the country and the other people get all the celebrity everybody wants to be a basketball player a football player entertainer singer rapper all this stuff and it's culturally bankrupt yeah it's morally and culturally bankrupt there is no culture there they've done studies of the um you know the income disparity you know and when you look at income wise brown people make more income annually in this country than anybody indian from East India and Chinese people make more money than anybody else in this country. So it's not a racism issue. Then you can combine that with studies that they've taken West Indian uh, immigrants that have moved to this country and you've put them in cities like New York and they're indistinguishable between police. They're indistinguishable between employment employers, West Indian, Jamaican, Bohemian people from Bermuda, they migrate here. They do 200 times better. 200 times better across the board with education, you know, with income, with everything, with keeping a nuclear family, contributing to the community. They live in the same community. It's a cultural thing, man. It's like, I'm just grateful that people are seeing it. The ugly truth is what's required for us to address it. And I think, I think that a lot of the leaders in that community are doing the best they can with with God, with truth, with, with the fact that it's all about the language, man. If, if, if I get pulled over and I, I speak the language of aggression, I'm going to be met with aggression. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you went there because I get so, I talk to myself on social media all the time, like as I'm scrolling, I, I'm, 
literally, I have to go. I'm probably going to step away from it for a while. You know, I haven't been posting much. I'm trying to work. I got stuff something got going on. But man, I get so angry when I watch these videos of these folks getting mad. Or like I'm getting, you know, the police brutality stuff. Certainly, I do think there's some bad actors in that in that field. But I think the majority, the the major majority, the 90 percentile majority is good people trying to do good things. And they're just like you and I, they just, they wear a badge and that's their job. Um, and so they probably have a good heart and they'll treat people with the same kind of energy that's being treated back. If you're listening, give those folks a break. Yes, they might be giving you a hard time because you might have broke the law or they perceived you to have broken the law, but have a dialogue, a civil dispute and have a conversation with it and find out what's going on and then let the system help you out. And I know people will say, well, the system's broken, this, that, and it might be, then you can go to the office and vote this year. You know, they got a big thing that's going on, an election where you can vote in your officials and not for nothing. We're seeing right now in Minnesota that, uh, what they, what do they want? 500 million, 50 million, or 500 million. I think, um, they asked the, the government for $500 million or I think, it, I think that's the number five, I heard five for, um, might be 50. I could be wrong. One of those two numbers, zeros, what's a zero when, when uh, we've got a $3 trillion bailout, right? Um, yeah. but they denied, they denied it. And I'm so happy that they did because it just goes to show you can't keep asking for a handout because some days it's not going to be there. It's like the person who cried wolf, you know, and, uh, you know, you're going to have to learn. And if you're going to not listen to the support that's coming down from the pipe, then you're going to have to figure it out yourself. And if you wanted to fund the police department, that's not going to be the answer, maybe more education and different things. But as we get here, we, we can go on opinion based dialogue all day i'm going to ask you shortly here so as you're preparing as we discuss some things that you would actually fix if you were a politician let's 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 make some let's let's get real with things a little bit soon i actually remember when i was trading oil on wall street some things that i was like going through and i think there, there was an election at that time and i was like man what would i offer what could i do because like politics has always interested in me despite me talking much about it literally I, I might drop it all later on in life and go for it i'm not sure if my past actions will come to bite me in the butt but uh you know, we'll, Same we'll, see, we'll see what's going on. I don't know what they're going to dig That one underwear picture will go cool service. We all, we all have them. I think my first motto, I think my first uh, cover was actually in a gay men's magazine somewhere. So you can go find it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just the way you start. I heard you had a, you were with Silver Models, uh, you know, in, in New York at one point. I think I heard you guys talking, uh, you know, you and Greg were doing some things. And I've only met him once, and I don't want to turn a David Warren segment into a Greg Plitt segment. But, yeah, uh, I was there. I was there when you met him at uh, the Metrics booth when you won Body Space. Okay. I was well, right next I met, to him. Well, I met him there, but I, I met him at the uh, Body Shoot for Bodybuilding.com. Do you remember yeah. that one, the, the first one that they did? Um, yeah. It was very dark. It was like a very dark one. Greg Plitt was one of the guys. I was one of the guys, and I shot first, and dude, we're, we're butt naked. And, you know, it's cold in there and it's, it's, it's just nervous, nerve wracking and different things. And, you know, I got done and then he comes in and he's all sketched out. It looked like he was like on speed or something because he comes in, he, you know, and that's probably just his energy because I didn't know him well. But he comes in, he looks at me, fucking bumps me and goes, hey, dude, is this fucking legit, man? You know, is this, what's going on here? Did you just get naked in the room? Like, he just comes up to me like, <laughs> Frank on me. And like, I'm like, hey, yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's all good. Go in there and have a good time. But uh, it was just totally, you totally you got his spirit right there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> bro, is this legit, man? <laughs> it was it was a good. You're just gonna stand there with your with your pickle and a sock, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very interesting, and I always wondered who uh, who edited it out at the end because we were just hanging there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The power of that mouse, huh? 
just click and it's gone. Sorry, guys. I was a, I'm a grower, not a shower. <laughs> yeah, man. That but talk to me about what's going on now for you. Like, let's, let's, you know, we, we, we're going to have to come back to you because I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of stuff I want to ask you eventually another time. And, and I'd like for you to kind of come on as a, maybe uh, someone who comes on on a, on a more regular basis. Uh, I like what you got to say. Love to, Bill. Tell me about all the things you got going on. Tell them, what, promote yourself a little bit. Let's, let's hear what we can do to help you. Well, I mean, really, I'm just, like you said, I'm doing the Lord's work, man. I'm doing the Lord's work. I, I just want to encourage every human being to realize that, uh, that how their life has been defined, you know, based on all the things that they've been indoctrinated in is, um, not even a drop in the in an ocean of your potential. If you really start to identify with the powers that you can observe every day in nature, the the beauty and complexity and just the energy that's pure spirit out there. Like I live on the ocean and it reminds me every day of that. So I'm just an advocate of breaking self perceived barriers and doubts. And my biggest thing that in practical terms that I use to get people to realize that potential and power is just breathing. So I mean, it's very in vogue now. Wim Hof has kind of pioneered all that stuff with autonomic nervous system stimulation and, uh, you know, um, basically the hormetic stress of using oxygen and creating greater awareness, greater consciousness, immune regulation, all this stuff. So, David, so, David I'm going to stop you because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that you're not going to like, but I'm going to have you work it. <laughs> I saw your posts because you're, you're CEO of Flow2. Is that your company? Yeah, yeah. I created the product, yeah. You created it. You, it was a something. You know, now I saw it, and I want to give you my honest opinion of what I see because I don't know anything about it. And I'm just like, you know, I call bullshit on a lot of things. And, and a lot of times yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. It's fucking breathing in his hands. What, what is that? So, but I've certainly, yeah. you know, I've smelled like, a, you know, the, the eucalyptus, like or when you when you go into those uh, steam rooms and they, they spray that stuff and definitely opened you up. So sell me on this product a little bit because... My listeners don't know much about it, I'm sure. I'm skeptic you know, about just about any product until it actually works. I'm very much, you can't give me a placebo and expect it to work because I'm going to say it doesn't work every single time. So tell me about that. <laughs> right. let, let me know. Well, um, let me ask you this. Where does the fat go when you metabolize fat? Well, it's going to be burned up for energy now. Yeah, but how, do, how, does the body, how does the body excrete fat? Well, energy is, I mean, if we're talking energy, like if you're actually saying, you know, what happens in the body, whether it's going to be fat uh, being metabolized as either storage in the body or it gets transferred into energy and whatever, you're, 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 you're going somewhere with it, which I'm, I'm certainly not going to say from my definition of how I understand it. So school me. Well, I'm, I was just curious. Um, it, it ties right into the mass thing. 80% of fat is excreted through respiration. Why someone who has keto has usually bad breath. Is that what you're getting at? So someone who's in ketosis always has that bad breath. You're saying it's coming oh, yeah. up. Okay. okay. Yeah. I see DO2 and H2O um, are basically the 80% of the byproducts of conversion of lipids into energy and then excre the excretion. Okay. Happens through respiration. So, you know, I've asked so many people, you know, I've asked, fitness professionals that have millions and millions of followers. I won't, I won't put their name on blast, but um, I've heard everything from you sweat it out, you poop it out, you pee it out. It just disappears. It's like, I didn't get to where it goes from your body. So I'm glad I didn't get a chance to weigh in too hard. I just know it gets printed. 
<laughs> right. Uh, so after my embolism and, and I started realizing like um, I had scar tissue in my lungs and the doctors told me that I wouldn't be able to train anymore. And so there was two, two things that I turned to for rehab. I turned to the dry sauna, hot sauna, because I was watching and reading Dr. Ronald Patrick's stuff. Back in 2015, I was reading the literature about saunas and how they could revitalize the endocrine system, how it could um, basically help my heart and uh, just kind of rehab me, you know, and neurogenesis and all these other things, brilliant things, and re reduce all-cause mortality by 40%. So then I started looking at pairing that with specific breathing techniques. And what I found was is like, I was trying to breathe, but some days I was just respiratorily compromised. If it could be like an upper respiratory infection or a sinus infection or allergic reaction to food. It could be pollen in the air. It could be, you know, asthma. It can be anxiety, all these environmental stresses. Most people that live in the cities, not, not just China, <laughs> but every city has particulate matter that they have. You lived in New York, you know the deal. You got stuff that you breathe in every day and it will compromise. It will irritate you. And so thus the quest, I went to Thailand. I was two years later after my recovery, I was in Thailand. I was at Tiger Muay Thai. I was, cause my life had almost ended. I want to live deliberately, go out there and just fight, be a crazy person. So I was there and, uh, I, I went home that night after a long training day and I wasn't feeling good. And there's a bunch of guys in the gym with staff and a lot of weird stuff like exotic illnesses I wasn't exposed to. So long story short, I started panicking. You know, I'm 10,000 miles away from my doctor. I, I almost died two years prior to that. And I'm thinking, man. So the next day, <laughs> I, I turn on the Joe Rogan experience. And the first thing I hear is Brian Callen and Joe Rogan talking about, oh, the flu this year is terrible, man. Yeah. So a lot of people have died from it. I'm like, shit. So the next day after I calm myself down, I go to this in Bangkok. I go to this Thai herbal place and I talked to this old man and I go over all these herbs I've researched for expectorants and respiratory, you know, benefits. And he's like, no, no, me not, me not like this one. And he finally, he grabs this thing and he's like, you know, you try this one. You, you gonna like this one. You try. So he gives me this stuff and it looks, it's this viscous dark green. It looks like Hulk's blood. And so I put some of that in my hand and he, I rub my hands together and he tells me to start nebulizing this, this jasmine and all this stuff that's in here. And dude, Craig, instantly, instantly, nasal pathway opens, sinus opens, lungs open. Then I started realizing uh, after some more research, you get a 35% greater increase in nitric oxide production if you just breathe through your nose. So how many people are training out there? They're breathing through their mouth. Yeah. So then I, then I understood like, okay, so there's all these benefits to just breathing correctly, but how many people are not breathing correctly and how many people would benefit from using something that could open up their airways? So then from there, I ran with it. And it's a, it's a, it's a product that people can use on the spot and it works. It just opens up your airways and, and restores your natural respiratory capacity. We, we are not meant to live in cities. We're not meant to have environmental stresses like people yelling at us or loud noises that interrupt our natural respiratory rhythms every day. And if we can self-regulate those respiratory rhythms and even optimize them, we can regulate everything about our biological function from immune system to focus to energy production to all of these things. So that was my goal with the product. And like I've, 
I built it out and formulated with some formulators from India and we started rolling the product out. And then dude, a year later, COVID-19 starts coming on the map. I ask you, and let me ask you before you get there, because I know you probably can't state any, any studies yet. How about, how does this product work with the flu? Does, is there any benefit? Has there any been any studies that show that like a product like this helps with a respiratory infection like that? Well, I can't make direct claims that the product can, but the, the National Institute of Health has done numerous studies on some of the ingredients inside the product. So right. there's three in particular that exhibit robust effects on, on viruses, bacteria, and, um, and the replication of viruses sure. specifically. So you have rosemary, uh, menthol, and um, rosemary, menthol, and wintergreen are all in the product. And uh, so the NIH, if you just look up, you know, NIH National or, or NH, uh, NIH, the National Institute of Health, if you can look up and you can Google benefits of rosemary, uh, antiviral benefits of rosemary. I can send anybody who you find me on Instagram, I'll send you the studies. But the studies state that if you use the product on your hands specifically, you can decrease the transmission and contagion of certain viruses. So, I mean, that's a big thing is like part of the administering of the product is let's say you're in the gym. It's a good habit to have. You spray it on your hands, you open up your lungs and now you have it on your hands. So anytime you pick up a weight or use a machine, or you have to touch somebody, you're actually reducing the, the viral load that you accumulate through interaction every day. So, um, to me, it just makes sense. It's a natural, it's not a chemical. It's not something that's, you know, going to hurt you or hurt anybody. It's something that's pleasant. It has other benefits, you know, regulating the immune system like Jasmine actually um, regulates the central nervous system. It helps you relax. Um, well, you know, man, going through life, you need some of these triggers. And like, like we started this episode with these triggers to, you know, almost get you out of your funk. You know, if this could just be a, a natural way of just, taking like this whiff, this smelling salt, if you will, and just say, I'm up, I'm going to go to work, you know, like reset yourself. How often do you spray it? Like what's, what's the process there? So I usually do one spray in the morning. I spray it in the steam before I take a shower and then I finish my shower off with cold. You know, I turn the heat off and finish a minute. And then what I'll do is before I go to the gym where I'm doing my warm ups, I'll spray it. I'll do another time. So basically if you do two sprays in each palm and you do 10 deep breaths slowly in the nose and out the mouth, that's how you can kind of open up the respiratory channels. Mm -hmm. And trust me, man, I'll do like one more, maybe midway, before, you know, when the, when, the, when the pump's kind of wearing out and I feel like I need that last little push. If I'm doing a HIIT training workout, I definitely use it a little more. Um, well, just look but, at the, the powerlifters, right? They're taking some sniffing salts before they hit it, and it's that that boost. Uh, you know, it's you know to rush. So if this could be anything exactly. on that same playing field, you know, it's gonna it's gonna provide some uh, physical enhancements, not only cognitive but some physical benefits as well. And some of that's placebo too. Like I know I said, I wasn't gonna fall into the placebo trick, but even the 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 reset, the the quick, the snap, the Pavlovian uh, trigger response. You know, these these yeah. things. That happen and you can create habits above it too you know you have it before you work you might be more productive there's I'm, I'm reading a ton of stuff on habit training right now different things so i'll, I'll support man you're gonna have to send me a link or i'll, I'll go i'll track it down i'll support i'll buy I'll a bottle. send you a couple i'll send you a couple bottles brother <laughs> we're, we're grown-ups now i'll support your product 
<laughs> I appreciate it, man. You know, back in the day, everyone's like, give me free stuff. Now I'm like, no, man, I'm going to buy your product. I want to support you. Nah, we'll, we'll do a deal. We'll do a deal. Any listener that, that purchases, you can get it at uh, www.getflow2.com. That's F-L-O-2.com. And I'll do a buy one, get one for your listeners. And if, when you order, I'll send you a couple extra samples so you can just share it with your friends and family. And uh, as soon as you get it, just let me know and I'll walk you through how to use it. And, they use a coupon um, code or anything? We can put velocity? As soon as I get your order confirmation, if, if they contact me and say, hey, I'm going to order your product, then I'll just make notation of the name and then I can send an extra bottle. Or for you, as soon as I get your order confirmation, I'll already know based on your name and I'll just send you extra bottles. The big thing too is you can actually spray it if you're required to wear a mask, which a lot of people are. You can actually spray it on the outside of your mask and it can help you know, alleviate some of that, you know, rebreathing of that waste product. It actually acts as a viral filter. So as you breathe out the waste products that you're exhaling and the bacteria that builds up from the moisture in combination with the polypropylene glycol constituents that hold that peripherous mass together with all those artificial fibers and chemicals that are in there. It's like, it actually helps is like breaks down the bacteria that tends to build up over time when you're using that same mask hours and hours and hours during the day. So, um, it's, it's, it's solid dude. Yeah. You know? I mean, just talking about the breathing and as much as I'm a skeptic on it, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a certainly open try. And I, I know that it, you know, I've, I've tried these other menthols and these different things. They do light you up a little bit. You get that pop and I could use that, man. I was up at three thirty last night cranking on something I was working on. I, I'm a weirdo. I, I work great at night. So, uh, wake up sometimes a little late, but I'll, I'll wake up. I'll just work the night. So no one's bothering me. You know how kids are They're They're in your business all day long. So it's like, uh, you know, I got to find that time for just me and I'm a chunker. I don't know how you work, but I'm a chunker. Like I'll, 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 I'll be distracted like crazy. And then I'll just like, I'm in the zone. And I'm same way. I'm the same way, bro. The, the thoughts float around and then all of a sudden there's coherence. They get organized and it's just like, like a Rubik's cube. Tell me about, let's, let's shift a little bit. And you got time, right? You have some time? Yeah, of course. Tell me about, cause I'm struggling with this. And if, if I'm struggling with this, you certainly are. Cause you're a man of many as well. How are your workouts going lately? I'm so, I, I got my hand in like four current things. And I just, I just gave one opportunity to a GM who I'm a franchise owner of Rockbox Fitness. It's a franchise gym. I bought two more going to be uh, working on getting those going at some point. But, um, how do you deal with your workouts now? Cause I'm having like, I'm 38, you know, when I was just into competitions, I had my eyes on the prize. And now that I'm kind of just in life and I'm just like, you know, I don't really have to look a certain way as much as I want to still live up to the, the fitness model approach and different things. And you're still crushing it. You look great. Uh, I'm not as good as I've looked before, but I, I'm, I'm happy with currently I'm content with it. I got, but I think I'm going to work on eating more. I know my problem is definitely eating more right now for sure. How do you silence the noise when you're in the gym? I'll tell you right now, I'm like so bothered right now by the COVID-19. I'm so bothered by politics. Um, I'll find myself in the gym and somehow glance at my phone because I'm like obsessed right now with what the hell's going on and I get distracted and then I'll think of my business. And so like I've, I've never been so distracted in my life as far as, you know, where my priority in, in fitness is right now. And it's amazing because it's like, you know, I'm... Even even when I'm listening, I'm barely listening to music, and I know I could probably start some things there. I'm listening to audio books while I train now and different things. So it's like I know my intensity is not where it could be. But uh, how do you do that, man? You look like you're in the zone all the time, and I could be wrong. You could be just like me, and you know it's it's kind of what we paint the picture of. Uh, I try to be as real as I can and asking you straight up. 
Yeah, 100% I'm like you, man. Um, some days I feel like maybe I'm 1,000 RPM from a red line. That may happen maybe once a week now. Um, yeah, the consistency is inconsistent in its productivity. So, and we, we've been um, blessed already to like kind of gain our physique, and now it's just like the maintenance role too, which is which yeah, is yeah, yeah. We have the benefit of yeah, the benefit, and that's one thing. Like we can look at our whole country in terms of that. Like you and I are examples of the benefit of the good habits we we've created, and we don't have to hit it hard every day and still right. look like what ninety nine percent of the population wants to look and feel like, and. You know, I live in an older community. I guess it's kind of a mix. It's about 20% are under 30, and then it you know, goes up pretty quickly. Almost 50% are over the age of 55 in my community. We live on the beach in Florida. And I see a lot of older people, man. And older people, some people have to use that walker, you know, and some older people, even older than those people, are just free-spirited, walking with their own faculties, sharp as a tack. And I'm like, you know, at a certain age, you do realize at a certain age, it has nothing to do with anything but choices at that point. It's the choices these people make and the inertia of that choice that's allowed them. It's free will. It's free will. It's not genetics. It's not anything like that. It's the power of the mind that's overcome all of those excuses. And for some people that have gotten older and they've experienced, everybody experiences pain. Mm-hmm. It's like, but when you wrap your mind about, is there a possible way to mitigate? Is there a strategy to mitigate the pain? Can I do this? Can I try that? You know, is there something I can eliminate from my diet? Can I get an hour of sleep? Is it going to help here? You know, it's always that constant vigilance that people have. And that's the thing. In this country right now, we're the benefactor of hundreds in, in terms of evolutionary biology, even before that, that's given genesis and rise to this free society. We're the benefactors of hundreds of millions of successfully lived lives that have gone through the harshest shit ever. This is a cakewalk for us. Yeah. People, people, human beings went through the Pleistocene era where there were saber-toothed tigers and 70% of the earth was covered by a mile of ice. There was no vegan diet, you know, unless you live in, in Brazil, you know? So it's kind of like, when we look in terms of what it's taken for us to get here, and then you put that in a micro scale and you look at us as individuals, it's kind of like, we've done the work to get ourselves to this position now. It's like, and that's the thing I just scream. I don't scream, but I find myself just like deaf ears. It just pearls before swine. They just don't understand. It's like, you're the accumulation of the hardest decisions ever made. You're the accumulation of the most beautiful love choices and sacrifices that have every single life has been a bridge and an expression of unity and love. Even if you come from a broken family, you had someone who stepped in and filled that void and helped to mentor you. It's we're all a product of love and unity. Like every single life is a product of unity. Why do we find it so hard to get along with each other when we're all a product of unity? It's just, dude. That's when we know when we're children, we all come together so easy. Mm-hmm. So if it is the world that's getting in the way of each other, well, let's put the world in its place. You know? I hear you. I hear you. Fuck, man. Have you how old are your kids? You got four? You got four kids, right? Yeah. You got two yeah. with the previous and then 
Yeah. How about you, man? How how how, how many kids? I you got, got one. I got one, and my wife and I are going to be working on a, another one at some point here. You know, at one nice. point, I got dogs, man. I'm good. I don't need. That. But I always watched. <laughs> it was like, you know, now she's like the apple of my eye, right? But uh, yeah. let's talk about fatherhood a little bit. Let's switch gears and talk. Let's talk about some good stuff. Dude, fatherhood, man, is a young father. Well, I have a twenty. He'll be 22 in December, and then I have a 21-year-old. Um, a 21-year-old is uh, – he's in the Navy. He's an aviation electronic technician. Uh, he's been in the Navy for three years now. And then my, my younger son is like a Don Juan. He's an artist. He just draws pictures of chicks so he can get their phone number. Um, and then I have my two daughters. I got twin daughters. They're fraternal twins, not identical twins, so they look completely different. And they're 10. So, you know, and, and, you know, truth be told, I'm in a relationship now where, you know, she's talking about a kid. She wants a kid. She's almost 40. So it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> we're 38 and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in the next year or so. We'll probably be uh, working on that as well. So they're beautiful, man. There, there's, I was, you know, I, I, I was, I was pondering this, the possibility of this being plausible. Like, could it be that kids keep you young? Like even in your forties and fifties, you find that maybe perhaps there's some type of pheromonal chemistry that is like it's mediated and communicated between parents that are older when they have young kids that nature just says, look, I'm going to give you a little bit of energy because you need to protect this child. When you think in terms of evolutionary biology, I feel like, this is my excuse. I'm selling myself down to the kid. <laughs> Purpose, dude. It's just in general, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you have a photo shoot. You you will crush your photo shoot. There's no choice. You don't have a. You're not going to show fat. You're not going to show up out of shape. You're going to say, okay, well, if I'm a little fluffy, which you're usually not, you're kind of just on point. But you know, for me, for example, it doesn't matter what shape I'm in. I could be 10 pounds, 20 pounds overweight. I will come in on time. You know, it's just you're just going to happen. So. You just got amazing purpose. If you have a kid now, um, you have to show up. I mean, provided you're a normal human being that shows up for you know good responsibilities and you're not a deadbeat. Um, but you now have an amazing purpose to thrive and survive and to do well and to show this person, this human being, what it's like. And now you have all this extra attention that you need to give someone else so you're selfless. And so being selfless is happiness, right? Some people don't some point like right. i've been more happy being selfless you know than with my kids that's the most amazing happiness i've ever had it was never winning a physique show or making tons of money on wall street or doing other these other things that shit's so, so short-lived money doesn't make you happy i don't know how best to say it for these kids that are going about it thinking it's going to i've had it haven't had it it's it's not been right. it the spiritual it's the the small things that you wouldn't think it create the, the greatest happiness yeah it's amazing how happiness is just a byproduct of the right neurochemical cocktail like of serotonin and people think that you know this thing this external thing is going to make you happy did, let me ask you did you know uh did you recognize at any point in time the subtle creative gifts the the shift in your mind and your creativity and um, just the energy exchange that you would get when your daughter was born, like a whole another world was open to you that when she was born, right? Yeah. 
not, yeah, not just in terms, not just not just in obvious terms of observing that now you're a guardian of another human yeah. soul, but, but that there were some benefits that are very subtle and all, never really rarely discussed intangibles that you just noticed. Like you're like, dude, I am on a creative like spurt. Like I got this energy, you know. My wife and I actually call it before, before, before Fabiana. Like Craig before Fabiana, Craig after Fabiana. Like literally, there's like a a, a separation. There's like a a yin and a yang of who I was and who I am. And uh, yeah. yeah, on so many levels, it's like, you know, if I, if I even think for a moment to feel sorry for myself in whatever situation I have going on, you're not even allowed to anymore. It's like, you know what? Nobody's going to feel sorry for you because you have a responsibility to this individual. So like, I know you were looking for it from a different perspective. Um, I just know that it's like, you can, you can literally watch my content go from me to my family. Um, you know, over the, like if you, if you took a 10 year span of, or five years, even for, well, 10 years, cause you have to see her before. It's just amazing to see. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's not, a, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And so like see that expansion. And obviously I, I don't think I'm growing in, in social media anymore. Cause it's like, I just care less about me at this point. I care about all the things that are creating uh you know, energy in my life at this point. And usually it's not me, you know, I've kind of done that. And, uh, I'm all about like the selflessness at this point, kind of just giving like everything I am is like a gift, whether it's, you know, from a fitness offering perspective of, you know, the, the stuff that I've create now because I've done all these things and I'm just like writing down and giving them out or to my family and those things. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing process and shift in my own psyche of like what I am now from what I was before, you know, the things that actually even create happiness for me, like, going to Vegas and partying was such a big part of my life at one point. And now I could care less. Like literally I watch, I watch it. And I'll be like, I don't even want to be in that dude show right there. Like I don't even want to take like muscled up oily pictures with people anymore. It's like, I don't even want to be associated with that sometimes. It's like, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, you said it so eloquently, man, that, uh, you know, people have asked me if you could pick something to emulate, uh, or person or whatever, what would you choose? And I've always said either Jesus or the Son. And because the Son and Jesus both give inexhaustible energy, they just constantly give and they never get exhausted. They never waver. They're always there, always shining. And um, that thought came to me when you were explaining how your life is transformed into this giving in giving of love, just, just transmitting this energy. And so, yeah, man, you represent the, the template that I aspire to be in my daily lives. That's, that's the giver. You know, I think we, I think fathers are in a particularly um, opportune position right now because the country needs um, people to stand up for what's right. And I think that, that we've realized we have, We've too long, we have not respected the, uh, the family structure, and that's what's leading to this, the mass orientation towards disorientation. Mm -hmm. And if, if the father and mother, in terms of the universe, in terms of the way the, the great architect of all creation has designed everything to be, to create harmony, that if we just, we, if we can hold those intrinsic values of what we are born to be and maintain that identity, everything will come back into its natural order. You know, a lot of, a lot of lefties have this notion that um, 
that Western society was a sociological construct of a patriarchal philosophy of a certain group of men that sought to exploit anyone other than themselves for their own capitalistic gains. And, uh, you know, when I was going through college, I kind of believed I drank the Kool-Aid, you know, um, my Rage Against the Machine days. But then I realized, like, when you look at the way Western society and the patriarch and all that stuff is established, like the BLM have made no qualms about putting their mission statement that we just want to destroy the nuclear family and the patriarchy. And so to marshal my arguments against them, because I respect their movement enough to go and look at the rhetoric and dissect them. I started realizing that when you look at the continuity of the serotonergic happy reward system, the continuity of that neurological system goes all the way through every species, even all the way down into lobsters. And Jordan Peterson talked about this. I don't know if you've, if you've heard this, but maybe some of your listeners haven't. If you haven't, you're not familiar with Jordan Peterson, you should be. It's yeah, amazing. He's a, he's a brain. So he talks about the continuity of this serotonergic pathway, which is really what human neurochemistry regulating your happiness is all about. So lobsters separated from, uh, we separated from lobsters, I don't know, 270 million years ago before there were even plants on the surface of the earth, you know, but their neurochemistry is so similar to ours, their serotonergic pathway, the reward system that their, their, their structure, their organism structure, their patriarchal um, and there's a couple matriarchal species, elephants is an example. But that structure is set in nature. Now, they've even tried, it's so identical to human beings, they've even tried antidepressants on lobsters in this work. Now, with two male lobsters, when they fight over dominance, let's say, they fight over the position of, uh, for territory and for mating rights, the losing lobster actually becomes lobster depressed. It's been, uh, exam- it's been examined through their posture. They become withdrawn. They go seek isolation. But the studies have shown that if human, uh, a cocktail of, of stimulants and that's, that go run through the serotonergic pathway and stimulate those, those, uh, those pathways, create a response in the lobster where it reengages immediately to fight for dominance so those mechanisms are so old, that structure of patriarchy is so prevalent throughout nature that it has 4.6 billion years of evolution to back it up. Not, not, some, not from Karl Marx's doctrine on how capitalism destroys the world or ruins the, the world. So when you look at, when you look at life in terms of these structures and how the architect has set all these things up, how creation is built on these things. What exactly they're doing is they're attacking life. That's what they're doing. They're attacking the principles of life. And so I would argue, and I posted this the other day, I would argue that since 2002, since the introduction of Adderall, which is a methamphetamine, since the studies have been done on methamphetamines and Adderall and how Adderall was 40 to 50 million Americans use Adderall have a prescription, the vast majority of those people are students that are going through college. So since 2002, we've spit out generations of kids that have used Adderall and Adderall has been linked to dopamine depletion. 
So you have generations of kids that were going through school. They were on Adderall. Now they're out of school, right? They can't find economic opportunity. They've been taught this Marxist liberal philosophy that capitalism is greed and it's all wrong. It has no, it has no um, basis in sustainability uh, within you know, the fabric of society because it's, it was all contrived by these rich patriarchal European people. So they're indoctrinated in this. They're all, their dopamine receptor sites are fried. So immediately what they do, and this is, this is speculation, but I'm citing literature to support my opinion. I, I believe it's plausible. You have generations of kids that have dopamine receptor problems. They can't understand how to be grateful. They can't understand what it's taken for them to get their language, their education, every benefit they have in the Western culture. They're criticizing capitalism from their iPhone. I mean, we could go in ad nauseum through all the double standards, hypocrisies that they perform every day. That's why the position is ludicrous. But I think, I think once that runs its course and everyone kind of reorients themselves to the family structure, it's all about family. The violence in inner city communities, it's all about not having family. The father needs to be reinstated the father's position needs to be reinstated and respected a very independent smart women that have been fighting for equal they've been fighting for equal pay for jobs everyone deserves equal opportunity but equal outcome will destroy america because you can't be expected to be paid the same if you can't perform to the level that that you know, deserves the pay. Brother, I hear you 100%. Yeah, man. Do you follow PragerU? Do you follow PragerU on, on I uh, do. Instagram? They put, they put out some great content. And again, I'm assuming their studies are, you know, fact-checked or whatever. But, you know, they made the assumption, and, and you, you hit on a lot of different topics in this one. But, you know, um, families in the 60s, you know, who had a, you know, more of a nuclear family unit. And I know that it's weird that this term nuclear family, because I never heard of it until we started looking at the... Uh, the BLM, uh, you know, uh, process Mission and what they stand for. Yeah. I heard it first, like on social media. So, but regardless, you know, the the the, the mother, father, uh, the two parent um, household, you know, the studies showing like if the you know the amount of violence and the amount of uh, depression and the, the violent crimes and the things of that nature don't exist at such a high velocity, you know, you know when there when there's two parents versus when it's a singular parent. Um, you know, and most often it's usually a mother. Um, and you see the skyrocket over the years and like where that's been from the 60s to the 90s and to today. And and why do you think crime's going up? You have these kids that are, you know, A, you're getting, you're, you have these moms who are having multiple kids because they want to get more money from the government. One of my things that I said if I was a politician is I would actually put a cap on how much money you could receive. And it's shit out of luck if you have more kids from that standpoint because it's your fault for, you know, actually, you know, you're never going to basically pay back your government if you're just taking all this handout money. So, you know, people currently today, it's just like, give me, give me, give me, give me. But did they even ever put in? Did they ever even contribute to society? Because, you know, all of us from the standpoint of paying our taxes and these other things are the ones contributing to the society. So, you know, I know that there's a lot of terms being thrown out, but, you know, here's one. And uh, tell me how you feel about this. I know we're going to jump around. What do you think about having the right to vote, having to have passed a some kind of competency exam of this history of this country and these other things? Someone, I mentioned it, someone backed it up by saying, you know, the people that actually 
come into this country actually have to take an exam to, to be a citizen. I bet you those citizens in the last five to 10 years can pass at much a higher rate than any average citizen in this country right now. And that's a problem. And yeah, we, we need a citizen's revolution, man. Yeah. We, we, it, you know what? I think maybe you and I could spearhead this, you know, maybe in connection with everyone we know, but maybe we could all do a citizenship public oath, you know, like what does the oath of citizenship really mean? And like that, that's a great way to kind of determine like who's in it for the Republic and who's not. As much as, you know, the only, my only qualm at this point is like I'm a business owner. And so like, I've been kind of quiet because, you know, who knows who you're going to offend at this point, but I'm almost over it. Like I'm trying to remove myself a little bit from certain um, parts of the, the, the daily interaction. So I'm not so much, if I'm a little bit radical outside and, and when I'm speaking and different things, I don't want to rub people the wrong way because I respect people's choices, but there's a right and wrong. And there's a, people know, like I get so pissed now when I'm thinking about like the, the rise of this current year, you know, the racism exists now when it didn't last year. Right. So for example, all these folks were just happy and, and pleased with their current lives, but yet what were they sleeping? Do they just get triggered? I guess is the word. And now everyone's just coming on. They had all these subconscious feelings that now just get put out in the light. Is it like when somebody rapes somebody and they find out 20 other girls got raped by the same person they're, they're saying these things, or are they just jumping on the bandwagon expecting something you know, I don't really know where people are. Um, and it's, it's just crazy. It's just, you know, the politics of things. And do people really feel that way? Or are they just saying things to belong to something? You know, where are people? Like, you know, these conversations, when you actually go and have intellectual debate with somebody, well, it's, it's never an intellectual debate. It's just an opinion-based argument when you're talking to some of these folks that just are doing, you know, this, this, these evil acts and spewing this hate. And they don't ever usually have a great basis for it. Or if they start opening their mouth, you know, it could be very quickly, you know, abated by some data or something. But they don't want to hear it. There's, there's just no debating this, this other side. Where, where do you, where, where are your thoughts on that? Have you experienced any of that? Oh yeah. Well, there's cognitive dissonance, and there's, uh, you know, echo chambers, and there's confirmation bias, and there's all of these things that, you know, we all do it to a degree. I mean, I find myself, um, you know, I've aligned myself with a lot of conservative views and then I'd have to say, I'd have to say like, nah, man, like I want to hear some other viewpoints from academics on the other side. It can't just all like be like this. So, you know, I've had personal experiences with in the South of when I used to do real estate in between, like after my divorce and separation, I used to do um, research title deeds for houses from the you know 60s and 70s. I think the earliest was like 54, 55, anything before 1965. It was on the the deed when I was going to research titles to flip houses, not to be sold to Negroes or Jews. And so, um, you know, you had that after the civil rights. Um, you had, you know, World War, World War II incentivized uh, those people to come back and own homes. And most of those people that got those rights were Europeans. But to be fair, Italians and Irish weren't always allowed to uh, earn, uh, to, to own property. You know, it was a, uh, the way everything parked. While you're right there, before, before, we, I, before you go off, because um, I know you can go somewhere uh, with that. I, I get so mad when I hear reparations from, you know, time uh white privilege and all these extra things that you want to hear about how 
um, you know, we've had better. So you're, you're damn right that there was certainly injustice that happened to, you know, uh, black Americans at that point, or I should just say Americans that are African in descent, because I hate when I hear, you know, African Americans, because you didn't come from Africa, you were born here, etc. But right. regardless of that, um, today, there's so many people, and I don't know what your, your, I heard your father was a military vet, and, and I don't know, but um, I didn't come from a, a, a lineage of people that were landowners and these things that where they had this wealth, like, you know, these, uh, you know, big, you know, I don't even know who you want to call it, like this, these southern landowners who had these plantations and owned these slaves and these things, like, so many people get lumped into this, like, slave driver um, when they had no business, they didn't know it, they were Europeans coming in and their parents migrated, etc. Like, so just because you're white, the color of their skin, people want reparations or etc. I get, I was never, you know, um, called a Negro or anything like these or, or whatever you want to call it. I get that. But, you know, from a money and monetary perspective of, you know, you own slaves or you didn't, my parents were never in that game. And it's, so it's like, I, I can't even relate to folks that are taking a knee and doing these other things to say, I'm sorry, when you never possibly did anything wrong, your family members never did anything wrong. You were just like everyone else struggling to make a living and just do your thing. There's probably a really, really small percentage of folks that actually had owned slaves and actually had land and did these things that, you know, um, were wrong, in, in, you know, in the universe. But again, there's such a small majority of those folks that exist that this blanket is being cast and it just, just pisses me off, you know, I, a lot of anger here sometimes and I gotta, gotta learn to use some flow too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's tough to, it's tough to defend yourself against something and against an act that you never committed. And, um, I guess the, the main, the main thing is to just, I just acknowledge that, you know, that was a, that was a long time ago and not to be insensitive to your ancestors. Um, and maybe, you know, there, you experience, you know, some of that if you, if you really choose to, but uh, something interesting that I could get to personally about like my last name. And when I did my genetic profile is like, my dad is a, my, my paternal gene is a J dash M two, six, seven, which is a, it's a Semitic Arabic, um, Bedouin and North African gene, Somali, uh, Moroccan gene. So it's uh, that whole area of the Horn of Africa into Saudi Arabia. Those are the people that Semitic tribes that I carry that paternal gene. And so my last name is Morin. Now Morin actually is derived from the Moors. And you know your history with the Moors. They were um, very sophisticated Islamic, you know, group that spread into Southern Europe that enslaved white Christians in Southern Europe from the year 711 AD all the way up into the 1800s, early 1800s. Now, when you look at the dates, right, you would think most people in this country would say, you know, well, never mind that they were, we're the most ethnically, we're the youngest country, most ethnically diverse country who's elected a minority president not once but twice, and we're racist. Okay, but let's put all that aside, even though that's very compelling to mm -hmm. dismiss the racism. Let's look at the fact that there is no race exempt from slavery. If you can find one, let me know, because mm -hmm. they're not out there. And furthermore, the Emancipation Proclamation 
was signed, I think 1865, 1855, 1865, September something. So 55 years between this country abolishing slavery and my ancestors enslaving my ancestors in Southern Europe, there's only 55 years difference. So people don't want to talk about that because they believe that white slavery was something or slavery, anything other than African slavery is irrelevant. And I get it because we can look at Africa today and we can see there's a, a large amount of exploitation that happens there. But you got to pick which boat that you're on. We're all on the American boat. And if we don't all start rowing and stop punching holes in the fucker, we're all going to go down with the ship. And for me, that's where I cash out. If people can't recognize that I can bring a very compelling case based on my own genetic lineage and my own personal story and my last name, you can look up more and means dark for Christ's sake. It means dark and swarthy. It means black. And I've, I've got dark skin. My dad looked like an Arab, you know? So it's like, when you start talking about this whole race thing and how, you know, it entitles you to certain positions, you're really undermine, you're undermining the, the original operating system for which all of us, you know, you got Android doesn't communicate with iPhone, MacBook, all of these things, they don't, they don't communicate. But when we start looking at each other in terms of, look, we all need these basic needs. We all have these fundamental things. You know, we all bleed. We all, you know, burn fat the same way, bleed the same blood, put the pants on the same. We all need love. We all need these things. And it's like anything other than those things, then you're, you're playing to a mob. You're, you're, you're categorizing yourself to a different club. You're playing the exclusionary game. I'm an inclusive person. Inclusive in terms of appreciating your distinctions. While the, at the same time, we, we all have our own identity. Mm-hmm. So, so we're all unique, yet we're all part of the same thing. And it's like the cancel culture nonsense, you know, that's the censorship on social media. It's attacking the fabric of, the civil, of Western civilization. They're trying to take down the West. And, they, and it's like Jesus said, man, forgive them, Father, because they know not what they do. They yeah. don't know what they're doing, man. They're galvanized to a cause. Their, their hearts harden, right? From the Bible, they always say, you know, he hardened their hearts. It's like, is that what's going on right now? Like, I, I always, I'm thinking, it's like, are these people so clueless? Or is there something else going on? Like, literally, I have to see these people. I'm like, can you, Matt, can you see yourself? Like, are you a mate? Can you, Wow. There's so much anger and hate. I feel like it's like, it's not even like there's something else. There's a driving force. And I'm, I'm convinced there's, there's this extra thing that's out there that's pushing these people and into. Oh this God. You look, just look at the culture, the romanticism of the, of the civil rights movement, you know, and like, and how it was such a noble, like, like take MLK, for example, you know, like there was such pride and nobility and like, you saw so much good come from that. And then you mm-hmm. saw like where people stood up and they protested, but then you saw the ugly side, the, the, the real ugly side of, of segregation. Mind you, segregation isn't something that has been purely perpetuated by European people against you know, people of color. Segregation happens within groups of color. I mean, there's segregation in Africa right now. Matter of fact, I mean, the pygmies are some of the most 
uh, segregated and most discriminated people on the planet. I mean, there's tremendous amount. There's an MMA fighter named Justin Wren who actually raises money every time he fights to, to create, uh, you know, uh, wells for the pygmies in the Congo. The guys almost die from malaria several times. So it's like, it's like, it's like MLK said, man, the content of your character, dude, that I don't care about what your skin looks like. I care about the principles and the ideologies that you stand for, like the way you conduct yourself. I don't care if Jesus is, is black or white or whatever. And if you want to tear down the white Jesus, that's not going to be the answer. Why don't you just erect more brown Jesuses? I'm cool with that. I love brown Jesus. I love Chinese Jesus. Whatever Jesus you want to talk about, just make more Jesuses. Don't tear things down. Don't tear John down. I mean, chances are he was... Chances are he was brown anyway. You know, he grew up in that time frame. I mean... Probably a Palestinian. Jesus was probably a Palestinian. My point, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's end with this, man. Uh, I'm definitely going to have David back on the show, guys. So if you're listening, I know we're, we're cranking on close to two hours here as we're throwing some content down. Leave them with... Um, what, what, are we, what are we working on for the next 30 days? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And this, this realm of success that you've already created... How does somebody who's already so successful, you know, is a, is a, is a father to these kids, um, you know, a fiance, is it Suni? Is that her name or is that her just her profile? Yeah, yeah no, Suni, you got it. Nailed it. You know, is, is a fiance to this beautiful woman and he's romancing her and doing these things. Like, what are you working on for the next 30 days that we could check in back in with you and, and see if you've accomplished it? Like, what is it that you're going to, let me, let me, let me hold you accountable a little bit and we'll check in <laughs> in maybe 30 days or something. What is it that you? I appreciate that, brother. Like, I need to know what you're working on too, so we can, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, I, I'll tell you this: my my focus isn't isn't working out and looking good. Um, my focus is connecting with as many people as I can right now who need um, they need life experience, they need wisdom, they need an ear to listen, they need somebody who maybe can provide some some peace for them or some guidance for them. I'm just making myself available to a lot more people. But in my in my personal dealings with business generation and, and sustaining my family, I'm working on just separating myself from anything and everything that isn't absolutely necessary. You know, trying to I mean in intermittent fasting, minimalism. I'm not having gone shopping. I'm not buying more shoes. I'm not being wasteful. I want to simplify my life and I want to hold to my needs a little more. And part of, part of that is I'm going all in with flow too. I've, I've working with some partners. We're developing uh, a, a click funnel that has remarketing and retargeting stuff so I can get to a broader audience. And I'm, I'm widening the funnel in regards to the customer personas that I'm trying to connect with, you know, older people. Um, that's a big thing for me too. I feel as though I have a debt towards every older person because they're so terrified right now because they're just sitting in, under the mind control box of mainstream media. And I'm not going to try to convince them that the, that the, that, the world is full of pedophiles and COVID can't kill you. I'm not going to try to tell them not to wear a mask. I'm just going to open the door for them and ask them, Hey, you know, I've got my gloves on. Can I carry your groceries? Or, you know, do you need your flat tire change? Or is there anything in your house that I can help you with? And just, just trying to be a citizen. I think citizenship, everyone knows, or most people in this country don't know what their rights are, but they'll tell you, I know my rights. 
But if you go to the, you know, citizenship.gov or you go to, you can just check on the internet. What are your responsibilities as a citizen? And there's a list of responsibilities as a citizen. If you follow those rules and you start aligning yourself with what it means to be a citizen and then just take everything you know about your life and being calm and being a good person, you take those, those things and it's going to be an amazing transformation. One of the uh, responsibilities of a citizen is to, is to respect other people's opinions and their differences. Mm-hmm. It actually says it in the responsibilities of citizenship. It says respect other people's opinions, even though they're different. And so I want to be an advocate of just listening, bridging the gap, finding common ground, connecting with as many people as I can, like yourself, and just, man, ultimately just being a good human being, good dad, man. Do, do my best, man. We're just little pieces of stardust out here. Well, that was our episode with David Morin. Uh, everybody, give this guy a follow if you like what he had to say, uh, the citizenship and, and the pathways that he's been talking about. I just like listening to this guy. He's got some great ways of uh, storytelling and being very energized and motivated about his topics. So check him out. That was the episode with David Morin. This guy is a stud, killing it as a father, as an entrepreneur, as a fitness model in this game, somebody to really look up to and show how to age gracefully. So that's our episode with David Morin. So if you like what we got to say, give us a a rating. Go ahead and review us on whatever podcast system that you're listening to us. And tune in next week with me and Holden back to give you some fitness tips and advice. Catch you later.